Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool senior analyst Seth Jason and Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, good to see you. Good, good to be here. We're, Chris. we're short one body. Here. We're, you know, you were in Italy. James is up in the great state of Maine. That's right. When do I get my day off? Um, you know, sometime in the fall. Okay. We got a lot to get to this week, including the latest economic and housing numbers, some wheeling and dealing at GM, and some new search in Microsoft. So we'll talk about all that, share a couple of stock ideas, and air a few beefs. Shannon, we're going to start with the big picture, which is, frankly, just not that good. That's right. News out on Friday that the economy contracted at a 5.7% clip in the first quarter. This is now the longest recession since World War II. On the housing front, the National Association of Realtors reported that sales of existing homes rose in April, but according to the Mortgage Bankers Association, 12% of homeowners are now either behind on their mortgage or in foreclosure. And the foreclosure rate on primed fixed rate loans has doubled over the last year. Is there any upside for investors in this news? No, apparently, to, uh, according to the market, there is. It's Hooray. a what, what me worry kind of a, a Wall Street response to really what is some fairly grim uh, ongoing ongoing news. On the subprime piece, you know, nobody should be uh, surprised at all, uh, if, if for no other reason, but that we've been talking about this here on this podcast for, for quite a while, that what was thought by some, but not by us, to be a subprime contagion has now uh, drifted into other areas uh, of, of the, the mortgage market as Foreclosure. well is not just for deadbeats anymore. <laughs> it, it, uh, the title of a great uh, blog post that everybody should go uh, look at right now from uh, from my partner here. Uh, so that was inevitable. You know, unless you're among the super wealthy, like my partner here, you, you were all <laughs> uh, living through the same economic drama-rama. And so this was going to happen eventually. Maybe the subprime piece of it was the canary in the coal mine, but, you know, we're behind that canary. And so sure enough, uh, this, is, this has happened. So from an investing point of view, I think now is a great time to remind yourself that we are far from being out of the economic uh, woods just now. And then to take a look at your portfolio and to to ask yourself, you know, the rally that we have all experienced and enjoy because it's more fun to be up than down, is that really supported by fundamentals either in terms of the companies you hold or the macroeconomic reports that are coming out? I would argue that it's not, and that's an argument for thinking very uh, uh, clearly about asset allocation now. Exactly. It, you need to look at your companies, like Shannon said, and say, what kind of growth are they priced for? And if they are priced for more growth than, than you expect is coming, it could be time to sell. Anything in the housing news really leap out at you? What besides that that everyone wanted something to clap about and it was the usual kind of bogus <laughs> housing news. Let me let me talk about the the National Association of Realtor Home Numbers. Everyone was going, hey, hey uh, housing's <laughs> gotten better, you know. But this is a seasonally adjusted rate number, and so it's only better when you look at last month as opposed to last year. It's actually much worse. And then you have to remember on top of that that in some markets that are some of the hotter markets right now, where houses are actually being sold, bought and sold. You know, as much as 50% of the activity is foreclosures, short sales, distressed sales of other kind. So I, I, I completely unscientific number. I think you're 10, 20% below if you consider normalized sales and, and, and not a lot of that really distressed stuff. So this is not great news. And the only reason the media presents it that way, I have to 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 wail on the sort of despicable Nas National Association of Realtors propaganda machine. These are the people who said there was no housing bubble. These are the people who always want you to think that a home is an investment when really it's a nice place to live and it only works out if you pay the right price. So don't believe don't believe in this. Do the math if you're looking at houses. 
and things are just not as great as everyone would like you to think. Yeah, and, and the fact that uh, the yields are rising on, on mortgage uh, uh, debt uh, is uh, not, not a good thing at all. And another sign that the drip, drip, drip approach that Washington is taking to solving this problem is about dripped out. Yeah, what Shannon's referring to, I think, there is the fact that uh, mortgage bond yields, there's sort of a rebellion. And so the yields on these are above the level where the Fed, where, where the government wants them to be. And of course, they were pumping a ton of money in to try and lower the yields by upping the price to try and push down mortgage rates because in the end, the, the price you and I pay for a loan is related to this. And what's happened is, is big surprise, you, you can't push on a string and, and have it work. Right. All right, shares of GM fell below $1 on Friday in advance of the company's expected filing for Chapter 11. Is there any way GM reinvents itself, or is, or is this just delaying the inevitable that this company is no longer in existence in any form in five years? Uh, no, and probably are, are the answers to, to, to those questions. Basically, uh, it, it is a delay of the inevitable, but I think that uh, given our current circumstance, that's probably a good thing. I don't believe that either at the level of its products or the, the labor management dynamic that exists across the auto industry, uh, the American auto industry can reinvent itself in time to, to, to save itself. And so basically, I think that what has to happen now is sort of an orchestrated dismount. And that's, I think, a part of what is underway. And that's good right now because we're not just talking about the jobs that would be lost at, at, at GM or across the, the broader auto industry, but a, a, around that ecosystem, the ecosystem rather, that uh, uh, exists. And so you're talking about dealers, suppliers, mechanics, the whole the whole uh, gamut of things that touch on the auto industry. As the, the If the demise was to be hastened, uh, that would be at risk. And I don't think now is the time to risk that. Yeah. And I disagree with Shannon a little bit on that. I think had this happened more quickly in the early days, and he and I talked about this around the water cooler uh, quite a bit, I think that would have been more of a danger. One of the silver linings of this storm cloud that, that is this long, drawn-out death rattle is that people have heard about this so much, I think they're to the point of being really bored. And I think they also understand there were actually a couple of shrewd moves made by the government. I think when, when Obama and his people said, mm -hmm. hey, we're, we'll back warranties and things, they took away the risk that people would just stop buying these cars dead and then effectively kill the, the surviving pieces of these companies. So I think that most most Americans and most people understand that the good parts of these companies are going to survive. Unfortunately, the bad parts are now the taxpayers' problem. And, and, and one, uh, bad is maybe not the word that I would use, but one interesting thing for people to contemplate as we watch uh, the, the unwinding of, of GM over the course of however long it's going to take is that this is a company that is not run for shareholders, it's not run for cur current employees, it's run for retirees. And that makes it a very uh, tough moral issue, uh, but not so much an economic one. This week, Microsoft started rolling out its new search engine, Bing. Microsoft is, Microsoft is describing Bing as a, quote, decision engine, and reports are the company plans to spend up to $100 million on marketing it. Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, the Woz himself, has wow. gotten a sneak preview and calls it, quote, astounding. What does the Fonz call it? <laughs> hey. Bing will be fully launched by June 3rd. Seth, well, let's start with you. You're a Microsoft guy. Have, have you taken Bing out for a spin? You know, none of us can do that yet unless we're special and we were, we're given a <laughs> unless you're the to the special <laughs> web page. <laughs> I think the Waz only saw the uh, saw the presentation and looked impressed. And the presentation is impressive. I was not ac absolutely as surprised as some people, but I've used the Live Search product for longer. I use sort of three or four internet search engine products every day because I find they all work better for some things than others. And, and Live was organizing some of this data this way 
a while ago, and then all of a sudden they switched to this kind of Google-like uh, list of things, and I really disliked it, and I didn't understand why they were going in that direction. I guess I do now. They, they wanted to move it all behind a wall and, and make the presentation even better, which I think they've done. I'm under no illusion that this can can stop the Google uh, juggernaut because this is a brand issue and it's a habit issue and people are in the habit of, of typing Google and going. But I think if they can actually organize this stuff in a way that's quick, saves people clicks, gives them the information they're actually looking for uh, more quickly, then, then they have a winner. And Microsoft has a bit of experience with this. They, they revamped the toolbar in, in Office, for instance, in a way that most people found jarring at first, but far superior to the way they had done in the past. So Are you referring to the mysterious ribbon? The ribbon. I'm talking about the ribbon. And and so they have some experience with this, and if it works out, good for them. We've got a, a viable challenger. If not, you know, it's another $100 million down the tubes. Yeah, and, and I'm all about a viable challenge, and it does seem to me to be the case that what they're trying to do is save people some, some keystrokes. I would suggest that Google has some things built into its uh, capabilities that also address that. Basically, if you want to refine your search query, Google is offering uh, predictive search queries based on what other folks who've also uh, searched on uh, I Love Microsoft have uh, put, into the, mm-hmm. put into the mix. The, the lurch from a fairly spark interface with live search to what looks like a, a much more robust but also more complex uh, interface for Bing is is a dare. It's a daring move on their part yeah. because it's tough to get complexity right when it comes to interface. I don't think this is a game changer. I think it could be a game ender. If it doesn't work, uh, then Microsoft, I think, will uh, see the I- inevitable, and that's the, um, uh, the Google is the, well, the dominant and, force. And the, and the one company we're not mentioning here yet is Yahoo because when you look at the search market, <laughs> yep. Google has 64%, mm-hmm. Yahoo has 20%, yeah. and Microsoft has only 8%, which mm-hmm. I have to believe, as much as it stinks to be in third place, Steve Ballmer must be going insane that Yahoo has such a huge lead. Ballmer clearly is insane. <laughs> You know, it's it's again, it's a brand, it's it's a brand, and it's a, a momentum thing. I mean, Yahoo is a name people know, and I think their product has been inferior for years. Certainly, the presentation, how to just get a, a single word in that box, is awful. But it shows you how powerful habit is, and why even if Microsoft's product were awesome, it would be tough go. I mean, if Google or Yahoo even maybe were were doing something less like this, I think people would be having spasms of ecstasy. The fact that it's Microsoft makes it really tough. People want to hate it. Yeah, I remember back in the days when. My my uh, older relatives thought that AOL was the internet. I think Yahoo sort of enjoys some of that legacy uh, f- familiarity. Uh, a big thing that Microsoft is fronting in a lot of the press material is that they are spending $100 million on uh, this ad campaign, and they're getting some hype in advance of that. But the hardest thing to do in marketing is to change people's behavior. I don't think it's going to get it done for, with a $100 million ad spend. All right, it's time for What's Your Beef? <laughs> time to tee off on a stock, a company, a person someone in this room. Shannon, <laughs> we'll start with you. Well, since you start with me. Uh, now, my, my beef is with consumer confidence. I hate it. I, 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 Why uh, do you hate freedom in America? <laughs> An apple pie. Uh, I love consumers. I am one myself. Uh, the, but the confidence thing, uh, in terms of the way that it gets overhyped and uh, Wall Street overreacts to it, is really just uh, an embarrassment to what is supposed to be a rational uh, a market system. <laughs> rational it's, market. It's anything but. Uh, and so, I, basically, what I, I think that uh, savvy investors ought to do is to take a look uh, at the overreaction that typically uh, meets, you know, uh, oh, the, the, these, these soaring consumer confidence numbers that have lately been reported. And if, if we could have like a reality check number that rolled up myriad data points into one easy to understand, so easy that even a pundit on CNBC could get it, uh, that would be a good uh, reality check because the data uh, is, is not supportive of the kind of confidence that we're seeing, nor the, the, the market swinging up as high as it uh, has. So just to circle back around to a point that we were both making earlier, 
Now is a fantastic time not to be head faked by consumer confidence, uh, but to stay focused on company fundamentals. And bear in mind, too, that we're about to come up on a season where earnings are going to be against very easy comps. So factor that into your thinking, too. Uh, and then also whether or not the economic data is supportive of the rally you've seen, the market seen, and that uh, apparently some consumers somewhere who got polled uh, are feeling quite good about. Seth, what's your beef this week? Uh, you know, my beef is that sometimes you're just really fired up to be angry about something, and then some jerk comes away and takes away your reason to be angry. You're and talking it, about me? You know, By no, being no, all no. nice to you? I know, or fixing the problem, <laughs> and it's a huge letdown. Everybody, am I the only one who feels that way? <laughs> On the way back from Italy, I'm stuck in Philadelphia, and it's one of those one of those flight delays where they don't just say to you, hey, you'll be leaving five hours from now so you can make an informed decision, maybe rent a car, maybe crawl back home to D.C. because that would be faster. No, they just keep saying, "Ah, another 20 minutes, another 20 minutes. So this happened to me on United and uh, a United flight. And I was just irate. So I wrote this horrible letter. I didn't send it right away because the airport didn't have free Wi-Fi. Otherwise, I could have been in trouble. (laughs) I I, I sent it the next day and I I toned it back and I just explained how I felt completely misled and how I just didn't know of any other industry uh, where people could be treated this way and, and the companies wouldn't try to make it right. And darn if United Customer Relations didn't send me back a very nice letter and a $150 voucher. Nice. So that that's the way to treat angry customers. I sort of wish it was a policy because I feel like if it were a policy that everyone who was delayed more than three hours automatically got a voucher, they would find a way to fix these kinds of errors. But it's better than nothing. So... I was going to beef on United, and now I have to give them the golf clap instead. For a mere $150, wow. which begs you the question. buy ha- Seth Jason. <laughs> <laughs> and how much was uh, Wozniak uh, bought for? I think all the Woz for needs is <laughs> <bing. laughs> I think a Happy Meal is enough to get the Woz going. <laughs> all right, it's time for Stocks on Our Radar, sponsored by Motley Fool Inside Value. Invest like an adult. For a free 30-day trial, go to insidevalue.fool.com. Shannon, as we head into June, give me one stock that's on your radar. Well, this is a stock that I think is near and dear to Seth's heart. Uh, it's uh, Logitech, and it's a great the, com- the mouse and keyboard people. Exactly, uh, peripheral uh, computer peripherals uh, concern, and the ticker is L O G I. Uh, great company, tough industry. It's a commodity-like industry uh, with uh, fickle consumers who are apt to either make do with what they have during downturns or to trade down as well. So there's uh, an element that. Uh, of uh, competing on price that are sort of built into its industry. That said, uh, Logitech has been a fantastic company for a long time. Annualized return over the last 10 years is about 23%, I think. So, shareholders have become quite wealthy over that. Long-term shareholders have become quite wealthy Mm -hmm. over that stretch of time. You drill down into it, and to me, it looks like they are the best operator in in a tough business. And so, even if you like the company fundamentals, which I do, fantastic uh, balance sheet, debt-free, clearly firing on uh, all fundamental cylinders, management is great, as evidenced by its profitability track record. But at some point, you look at uh, you know, margins. And the gross margin figure here is about, what, 30% roughly? So they're taking home about 30, or they're, they're banking about 30 cents on every dollar that they take in. Well, that's only at the top. It's, it gets even less as you go down. Exactly. Yeah. And, so, and, so how, and so we are doing work on this company. And, and I know it's one that, that you're a, a fan of. But how do you, how do you reconcile that uh, disconnect between what seems to be a great company but a tough industry? Yeah. Well, you're talking about one of our, one of our companies over at Hidden Gems. And I, and I had this discussion with my team. And uh, this is one of those situations where I try not to hit my head against the wall sometimes about the competition and trying to figure it out. And I just look, and that, and the margin numbers are actually very steady. And so that suggests to me that they do have some secret sauce, whether it's it's their product development, uh, brand name itself, or or otherwise. 
that is responsible for this. And sometimes you don't need to be able to put your finger on it if you see the evidence strongly enough. And so, so that's all I'll say about Logitech before I get to my radar stock. Sure, one stock And this is radar. a stock I know Shannon will love because it's the, the kind of company he loves. It is a company that has actually really phenomenally high margins, even net margins, and they produce cash flows, uh, huge cash flows year after year. Uh, they are in a tough business, but they are by far the market leader. And these are all these are all companies, the kinds of things you love in a company, right, Shannon? As Spandau Ballet once said, so true. So true. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's Microsoft. And <laughs> so I draw, I, I draw Shannon in and then stick in the knife. You, you learn some things when you're in Italy and, and how to stab is one of them. Yeah, how, <laughs> the, how, how are those margins on uh, Zoom? How, how's that working out for them? Well, Microsoft, not unlike uh, other companies you like, Costco or, t- or Target or others, has some lost leaders. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the Xbox is actually the most famous one. But Microsoft still makes an awful lot of cash. The price now at 20 isn't as great as it was a few months ago when it was down below. They've always got problems. They've got people trying to sue them for billions, fining them for billions. They've got, they operate in some in some markets where things don't work out, Zune, Search. But they also operate in a lot of markets, office, operating systems, where they didn't get the job done originally and eventually they did. And they're still a huge leader. They're actually very good to shareholders and they're worth a look. They're very boring, and after all, everyone hates them, and that's usually a good time to buy a stock. I don't hate them. I just wish they would stick to what they're good at. If you agree not to quote Spando Ballet anymore, <laughs> I, think, I think they might agree to that. All right, Seth Jason, Shannon Zimmerman, thanks for being here. Good to be with Welcome. you, Chris. Thanks for listening to this edition of Motley Fool Money. You can check out past episodes at motleyfoolmoney.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Do your homework and make your own decisions. And remember, the conversation continues 24-7 at fool.com. I'm Chris Hill. We'll see you next time.